Oh man, I want to read something to you. Uh, as you can see, we're still talking about routines and disciplines and habits. Only that text, you know, I forgot. I should have taken that off because we're not going to look at First Timothy anymore. The thought was, though, from there was Paul saying to his young apprentice, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness, of godlikeness. He's saying... Discipline yourselves. And, you know, discipline takes discipline, right? Discipline is work. How many just enjoy discipline? Yeah. Um, Of course, there's the other use of discipline, too. Discipline your children. How many enjoy that one? Parents. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I want to read something, though, because we are going to talk tonight about prayer. We've been on this for a little bit establishing, developing a routine of prayer. If we're going to walk with Jesus, if we're going to grow and continue on, we have to establish and develop and adhere to some kind of routine of prayer, some kind of prayer discipline. And, you know, I'm aware that when you say that, that could sound like, you're saying pray routine prayers no but have but pray routinely you know i think of talents there are so many people that have a talent in an area but if they don't develop it if they have no discipline sometimes you know there are those uh people who have just crazy talent natural talent but if they don't actually you know, do the discipline. Somebody else with less talent but more discipline surpasses them, right? That's just kind of how life is in a lot of different things. So I want us, I want me to continue and to have a, a discipline of prayer, a routine of prayer. And there are those days definitely that I don't feel like focusing and taking the time to pray. I want to do what I want to do. And it could be, you could say the same thing about people who work out and they, once it becomes a lifestyle, they they find it easier, right? You kind of enjoy it. You know you're going to get something out of that. Sophie was talking to me just last week about doing a new aspect of her workout and she said I'm so sore right now I love that feeling don't you like you know it it feels like growth right when you feel sore in some part of your body that you're not used to you know kind of using and it feels good to know that hey I I I exerted some energy and it feels good well I want to exert some energy in prayer I want us to be those kind of people who, even when we go through those dry times, and there will be some of those, that we come out saying, I'm glad I continued to press in and seek God. Amen? I want to, read, I want to start by reading uh, a page from this book. It's written by the guy that for a while, he, he's an American originally, but he was the, uh, now I forget what his title would be, I think he was called the president or the dean of Regent College, Daryl Johnson. Baptist pastor. In this book he wrote uh, in 2005, 57 words that changed the world. The 57 words, and it's a journey through the Lord's Prayer. In the Greek language, it was, there were 57 words in there in Matthew's version of it. 57 words. I like that he says, not that changed, 
but that change the world. They continue to do that and as we pray that. But this one specific thing I want to point to, because last week I talked a little, little bit about perspective. That, you know, when we come to the Lord's Prayer and we start with our Father, when we realize that we're talking to God Almighty, all-powerful, no limitations, boundless in His power, in His love, in His wisdom, in His goodness, in, in all that He is, He's Almighty. We've got Him on our side as believers, but also He's my Abba. He's my father. It's like, wow, talk about a perspective change. It's like he's not only almighty, but he's all favorable to his kids. And he's, he's there. So Daryl Johnson tells this um, story. He says, um, I'm going to pick it up here. Four days before Christmas of 2000, our then 18-year-old son, Alex, whom we had adopted six years earlier from an orphanage in Moscow, went hiking with a group of friends in the mountains just north of Los Angeles. They were making their way along a a loose rock slope when the rocks gave way and Alex slid down the slope and then over a 120-foot cliff. When the rescue team arrived some 40 minutes later, the helicopter pilot said he was sure Alex was dead. Too much blood had flowed from his head for him to be alive. I want to say this ceiling is probably about 30 feet high. So 120 feet, you know, is a long ways up. Um, so he's, when uh, the two paramedics, sorry, but when two, para, two of the paramedics got to him, they found a pulse and quickly rushed him to the trauma center in Pasadena. By the time Sharon and I uh, made it to the hospital, Alex was already in a coma and attached to a life support uh, system. The neurosurgeons could not say whether Alex would live. If he made it until Christmas Eve, then there was hope he would not then there was hope he would recover. Even if he survived, the doctors would not say what kind of life he would have. On the night before Christmas Eve, as I drove home from having spent the day at the in the ICU, I heard the following words which I keep in my journal. Things are not as they seem. In your life, in your son's life, in your wife's life, in the lives of your other children, in the lives of other patients in ICU. Things are not as they seem. There is more going on than meets the unaided senses. There is a God. There a living God, a good God, a faithful God, a powerful God, a reigning God, an ever-present God. There is never a time when this God is not good. There is never a time when this God is not faithful. There is never a time when this God is not powerful. There is never a time when the God of the Bible is not on the throne of the universe. There is never a time when the God we meet in Jesus is not present. It is a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. Things are not as they seem, he he writes then. In one of the most frightening experiences of our lives, our Heavenly Father rescued us from the evil one's attempt to destroy our faith. He finishes the chapter saying, Alex, their son, I am grateful to report, lived and is making a remarkable recovery and he loves the Father. That is the miracle. 
Um, sometimes, you know, people read a story like that and then they never tell. And you know, <laughs> I've got to go buy that book and find out if anything happened. I love this thought. Things are not as they seem. And if anybody knew this, it was Jesus. Jesus prayed knowing that what we see here, what we take in with our senses, is not all there is to it. There's more to it. I like that he says, there's a God on the throne. There's a God reigning. There's a living God, a God who, who he sees the score and there's, and there's never time he's not good. There's more going on than meets the eye. So we know when we're praying that we come into a prayer time and it's like, eh, you know, we, we, maybe circumstances are all stacked against us, but things are not as they seem. The, the last page has not been written. The story's not over. We've got a God, amen? A God who is mighty and powerful and good. And who demonstrates this better, of course, than Jesus? The, I want us to look for a moment, as you can see, at Jesus' prayer life. I mean, he's our example in everything. And, you know, in one sense, you might think, okay, Jesus, he, of course he would have a great prayer life. How can I possibly, you know, stack up with that kind of a prayer life? But I want you to know, God loves us like he loves his son, Jesus. And he, the same spirit that lives in Jesus, as Malik was talking about, is the same Holy Spirit who's living in us. The same Holy Spirit who, who comes to dwell in us. It says he's already poured out the love of God into our hearts in Romans 5.5. 5. In fact, now that I think of it, maybe you never even got that far on that passage. But it's there, Romans 5. Um, so I want us tonight to look briefly at the prayer life of Jesus and become wholehearted prayers. I want to be a wholehearted prayer. Am I now? No. Not always. Sometimes I've had my moments, but a lot of moments, no. But I want to be one of those people who seeks God with all my heart. Everybody knows this verse. Just about everybody, I think, knows this verse. I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. How many have heard that verse before? Yeah, from Jeremiah 29, 11. But the context of that verse is beautiful because the people were in exile when they heard that. They, they would have been looking and thinking, man, we're in a bad spot. They're in, they've been carried off to Babylon and God speaks this to them. My plans for you are plans for good and not for evil. Plans for welfare, not calamity. To give you a future and a hope. My plan for you is good. But then he continues, that's wonderful. But the, it carries on like this. God says, then you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen. And you will, sorry, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then the beginning of the last verse that I'm going to read there, verse 14 says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Oh man, what a promise. Go home and remember that tonight. If you forget everything else, and you better not, remember this Remember that verse, Jeremiah 29, 14, the first phrase of that verse. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord. If God doesn't keep to his word, well, then we're not hearing God. God is a, he keeps his word. I will be found by you. He wants to be found by you. He wants to be known by you. Somebody say amen. God wants to be known by you. He's willing for you to know him. He wants you to see him to know him, to hear him. When things are a tangled mess, you call on him. You turn to him, not as a last resort. You've probably heard this old kind of cliche that some two people are talking and one says, this circumstance is bad, we should pray. And the other person says, oh my goodness, has it come to that? Well, yeah, that it should be like a reflex. It should be the first thing we do and not, okay, I've tried everything else, now I'll try praying and see if God can do something about this. Let me tell you, I know from first-hand experience of watching you (laughs) and me that far too often I've waited to ask God for help until after I've expended all of my resources and they never could meet the need, right? You know it. How many people here have done that? Like really, if you really have, you've tried to do it and you didn't, it didn't work out and then you prayed and God did something. Yeah. It should encourage us to say, wait a minute, why do I do that last? Why not seek God first? Why not turn to him first? So, he comes to aid and help and empower and free and rescue and work in us and work for us. And Jesus shows how this goes down, his prayer life. He turns to God in every kind of circumstance and they're not all good. They're not all just, oh, everything is coming up roses. No, there's some, there are some things. So we're going to do kind of a survey through Luke. I don't normally do things like this, but I want to go through the book of Luke and cover about seven or eight different uh, verses and uh, just... Show Jesus' prayer life. So Luke heard from eyewitnesses who traveled with Jesus for the three, three and a half years of his public life. And they took note of Jesus' lifestyle of spending time with the Father. They took note. And he took note and recorded it for us. A lifestyle of consistent, regular, routine even he had a routine of prayer jesus seeing god seeing more of him knowing him relying on him he was constantly doing that and that's what we want to do amen if anyone could have relied on their own resources it would have been him but he was the one that relied most on the father constantly in every situation he didn't rely on his own um, resources so first verse luke chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 okay now jesus had just touched and healed a leper uh great um testimony here he, he this guy comes to him if you are willing you can cleanse me and jesus cleanses him heals him And then it says, so let me read it. After he's um, healed this guy, it says, but the news about him, verse 15, about Jesus, was spreading even farther. 
and, a, and great multitudes were gathering to him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Once word got out, there were just people always, and this, this, these words you see, great multitude, great crowd, constant, constant, constant. Verse 16, but he himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Jesus has this, and there's this old saying, public, uh, public power is supported by private prayer. Jesus wasn't intoxicated by being a, a miracle worker and everybody hailing him. Oh, wow, such things. We've never seen this. He wasn't intoxicated by that. He would often slip away and get alone with the Father, where for the most part, nobody even knew what happened. He would go out into, it says, in fact, here, it says he would often slip away to the wilderness. If you uh, look back in chapter 4, it says this, uh, here's Jesus, he's all night long. They brought to him all who were sick and he's casting out demons and healing all these people, rebuking the demons. Then verse 42 of chapter 4, it says, when day came, so he did it all night, he departed and went to a lonely place or a solitary place. And the multitudes were searching for him and came to find him. But here's Jesus, he does all of that. He's not getting puffed up with this. He wants to go out and be with the Father. Now, there's, there's a picture there. Some of it is just, I think, on the most basic level, maybe the most beautiful level, fellowship with the Father. We get to fellowship with the Father. And if we get to that place, the, the prayer discipline, I think, will shift a little bit too. Now, there's times it's going to be discipline to, to get there because we have to overcome, as I've said before, the, the gravitational pull of the flesh away from God. That's, we have that, and the world has that. But when we actually are going to be with God, we get to be with the God of the universe, God the Father, again, who's infinitely favorable. We get to be with him. I think Jesus, who, who was perfectly clear there, n- no static, no you know, noise in the way, nothing blocking that fellowship because there was no sin ever in his life. So imagine he's going out to the wilderness, to solitary places and being with the Father. And it's like, what better? Pl- God is the most enjoyable thing i'll say and don't you know go away and say oh that guy's preaching heresy he called god a thing the most there's nothing more enjoyable than him and jesus was going partly maybe firstly just to be with the father who could be more enjoyable than the living god who's perfect and holy and gracious and good and on it goes but also he gives out all night He's pouring out. He's casting out demons. And I don't mean that Jesus probably had to work up a big sweat. Okay, there's a demon. It's a, it's a powerful one. And I'm going to pray my most powerful demon casting out prayer. And he had to sweat and shout and go crazy. No. But he did this all night. And I'm pretty sure that it took something out of him. So he goes out also to get replenished. To be filled back up. It's like. He's with God, the enjoyable one. He's getting filled up, goes back, and he, he, 
can do it again. He can do it again tomorrow. The crowds are constantly seeking him out. Now, one thing about solitary places, because it says this a lot, the wilderness, solitary places, he went to a mountain to pray. He's constantly doing that. You think, oh, maybe the, maybe the, you know, the, the, the key thing here is that it was in nature. Oh, and there is something special. How many people like to go pray in somewhere in nature? Anybody else? Yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. But it's not all that there is. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 6, just before he gives the Lord's Prayer, he says, you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close the door, pray. I don't think it has to be the wilderness. That's not the ticket. That's not the thing that made all the difference. It's this idea of, he, yes, he got alone. Got alone with God where he could be real. There's a... A lovely girl that I went to um, uh, the leadership school with, she was from Los Angeles, and uh, she said when she was in college and she was trying to pray because she was in some kind of a, like a quad or something, and there were so many people in there all the time, she said to pray, the way she would do it was she would sit in the room and pull a blanket over her so there's a big lump sitting on the couch and they know it's her but uh she said it just kind of cut me off that at least i'm not looking at them and they knew oh rosa is praying you know Uh, and they you know she'd sit there and cover herself over and you know she had to get alone and couldn't find a place in the middle of la to to do so so she would do it there under a blanket But here's Jesus. The pattern of his life was to get alone with God. He needed to do it. I need that. I I need that. Uh, You need that. We need it. We need to have times alone with the Father to know how wonderful he is and to refuel. Okay, the next one. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, uh, Luke 6, 12. Now, here's Jesus. He's just healed somebody on the Sabbath. People are unhappy about it. In fact, it says they were filled with rage that he healed this guy's withered hand. How ridiculous. He's, his hand is withered. Jesus, it, you know, he speaks a word to this guy, and the guy's hand, he, he stretches it out. His hand is re- restored. Then verse 12, after it says they were filled with rage and they discussed what they might do to Jesus, and it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer. And when day came, he called his disciples to him. That's not just the 12 yet. This is a bigger crowd. He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he named as apostles. So here's Jesus again. He's giving out. He's doing. He's teaching. He's casting out a demon. When, when he's finished in there, he goes off to the mountain to pray, and he comes back with direction. He saw something. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 5, he says he never did anything that he didn't see the Father do. Where was he seeing these things done? Probably when he was praying. God's speaking to him. I want you to do this or that you're going to meet this person or there's going to be this or there's going to be that. Be ready. Maybe it wasn't always specific. But Jesus went and he got clarity. He got direction. He got wisdom. He came back and he chose the apostles. So this tells me he wasn't just going off to talk to God. He was going off to hear something, to listen, to get direction. 
How many have ever heard of the uh, actor uh, from a generation past, Orson Welles? You've heard that name before? Orson Welles, I remember having a quote that he said, I don't pray. And he was supposed to be a guy with, uh, I forget, an IQ of like 145 or something like this, very smart guy, supposedly. And he said, sorry if he's like your favorite guy. Uh, And he said, I don't pray because I don't want to bore God. Well, he kind of doesn't understand really all of what prayer is. Because it isn't just us going in and, okay, God, you know, uh, here's what I'm going to need you to do first and, and second and da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like the older I get, and don't get me wrong, I'm really young, uh, the older I get, the, the, the more quiet my prayer time has become. I used to think if I wasn't working up a sweat and, you know, kind of yelling at God that I wasn't going to get anything. And the older I get, what happens? I find I'm wandering around my backyard or my office more and I'm hearing something. I'm listening to him. He's got something to say. And, And it's good. You know, this the whole thing of... We need to be listening to him. Back when I first got saved, I needed a job, and so I bought a taxi, and I started driving a cab. I did that for about two and a half years, and I mean, I I wanted to witness to people, so it was a great job, because I met lots of people and got to tell people about Jesus. One time, I picked up a mother and her son, and he was about five or six years old, and she needed to go to a bank or a store or something. And we parked in front. She went in. And the boy is sitting in. This was a, a my car was a late 70s uh, Plymouth. And it had like a bench seat. I don't know if there's any cars like that anymore. Not bucket seats. There's not a console. But in the, the, the kid came and sat in the front while his mom was in there. And uh, he saw this pamphlet that I had. Uh, or a tract, I don't know what you'd call it, like a double-fold kind of pamphlet, with a, and it was called, just simply called Prayer. And it had a picture, uh, I've seen it before, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, if, if, uh, it would be like if it was, say it was here, Jesus is like this, and he's looking up to heaven, and he's got his hands like this, and he's looking up, and it's, um, it was a sketch, not an actual photograph of so, uh, and the, the boy is looking at this and he says, what is this? Because he couldn't read yet. And I said, oh, that's about prayer. And uh, he, he obviously knows nothing. He says, what's prayer? So I'm sort of given a brief explanation. And, you know, it's when you come before God and you're talking to God and, and God's talking to you and you know, and he needed a little explanation about God. So I, you know, I'm also looking to see his mom coming. I'm going to get as much of the word in him. And I, okay, I don't mean that in an evil way, but it's like, I'm going to tell him about Jesus before mom comes back while I have a chance. Um, and so I'm explaining what prayer is. And I said this thing about we don't just talk to God, but we listen to him. And he says, I want to do that. I want to hear God talk. And I thought, okay, cool. My mom's still in the store. So he's sitting there, and I, uh, 
I said, okay, we're, we're going to pray, and I'm just going to start and give God thanks, and thank you, God, for this opportunity with Michael, whatever his name was. And, you know, thank you for this opportunity with um, Michael, and I probably said something condescending like little Michael, you know. But he, it took about 15 seconds, and he says, he's talking to me. And I am so cynical that I didn't quite say it like this, but it was almost like, sure he is, little Michael. <laughs> and what's God saying to you, little fella? <laughs> that's, that's kind of, you know, it wasn't really that bad, but that's sort of how I felt. I, I had not used these words with this kid. And he says, he's telling me he loves me. I had not said anything about the love of God. This little kid. So it's like, here, kid, pray for me. You know, like, I, it was beautiful. I, my faith went through the roof. It's like, this kid's here in God. I said nothing. I'm talking about God, you know, he created the earth, and we get to talk to him. And this little guy, he, he's speaking to me. He's telling me he loves me. We need to be, how many want to hear God say that to you? Yeah. We need to be giving him time to speak to us, not just, you know, telling him all the other things. I mean, he wants to speak to us. He wants to say words of life to his people. It, he wants to give us direction. You know, James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it liberally without reproach. He wants to give out. He wants to speak. He wants to be heard. He knows that his words can transform us more quickly than our words back at him. Amen? So follow Jesus' example. Let's go listen to God. Okay, the next one. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to do 9.18, and then I'm going to jump ahead. He, this is just where he says, It came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitudes say that I am? And they sort of give some ideas about that. But then you come down to verse 28, and it says, Some eight days after these uh, sayings, it came about that he took along Peter, John, and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. Again, the mountain, up to this place. But he, this time, he's taken his three, his sort of inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He takes them up to the mountain. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. I have only had a prayer time like this a couple times a week. I... we read this and you think, okay, I've never prayed. If that's the kind of thing that takes place during prayer. But look at what happens. Elijah and Moses show up. And it says in verse 31, they appear in, appearing in glory, were speaking of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Elijah and Moses show up and they're speaking to Jesus how glorious this is. Now it says, now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. So I want to say, not all of the prayer time might have been fireworks and glory and those things. These guys fell asleep. And they, 
And yeah, and they did it again at the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' ministry. They fell asleep. It it seems unfathomable, except I know that I'm like this this now, uh, even more than I was when I was young. If if something's not you know kind of grabbing, and these guys fall asleep while this is happening, but they wake up and Peter says, you know, um, you know, they see the glory and and then God speaks to them. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Again, listen to him. Listen to him. You come here not just to talk, not just to give out, not just to get your needs met. I'm going to meet needs that you didn't even know you had if you're listening to me. I'll speak these things. So here's God meeting with the glory of God. Even as, you know, we read the Daryl Johnson thing and he said, there's, there's more at play here than you know. That's what happened on the mountain. Jesus goes up there and I think for a moment it's kind of like his glory got revealed. Like they just saw a man. They didn't typically see him glowing and his clothes glowing. So they go up and they get a glimpse of, oh, you know, he's, he's of an of another world he's that glorious they go up there and they see him so let's uh let's hurry through these next couple chapter 10 verse 2 he teaches them he says i want you to pray for the harvest he says urge the lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest then look at uh 10 chapter 10 verse 21 verse 21 it says at that very time this is just after the disciples come back from their second missionary trip. This is when the first time he sends out 12, next time it says in Luke 10, verse 1, it says he appointed 70 others and sent them out two by two. Okay, so they come back and they start telling Jesus what happened. They were, even the demons were subject to them. He says, I want you to know that even beyond that, it's more glorious that your names are written in the book of life. Then it says, verse 21, though, at that very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, or prayed, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. So Jesus prayed when he needed to know who the disciples or the, the 12 should be. Jesus prayed when they were upset about him healing somebody. He got alone and he did that. Jesus uh, got off after he had had a whole night of ministry and got refueled. And he prayed when they came back to celebrate. I, I hope that... The routine of prayer, again, doesn't become routine in the sense that it's dull and dead and it looks the same every time because it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Your prayer life, you'll have times, just like in corporate prayer meetings, this last Tuesday night was a much quieter one, much more sober than the one before that was a little more kind of like a little more of a roar to it. And it was, uh, you know, personally, I like those kind. They're they're kind of more loud and like me. 
And, but this one was a little more, and I'm not saying I don't like the quieter ones either. What's more effective? Well, what does God want at the time? And so here's Jesus. His prayer life consisted here of celebrating, and I don't know quite what it looked like. He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. I've heard that the word rejoice has something to do with twirling, that Jesus was jumping or leaping. He was, he was celebrating. I hope that's, uh, that's you know, an, an example of him really kind of cutting loose and delighting in God here. Uh, I praise you, Father, and he, these things were well-pleasing to you, God. So don't let your prayer time become routine in a dull way. Okay, next one. I don't think we'll spend a lot of time here, but Luke 11, verse 1, it says, And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And that's the Lord's prayer. He starts with, Father, hallowed be your name. He starts there. And as... Take up that prayer, as I presented last week, that model of the Lord's Prayer and those different kind of subheadings and use it as a model for prayer. Some structure can be good, amen? Somebody messaged me and encouraged me that, hey, I've been doing this this week, and the structure of having the Lord's Prayer as sort of a track to move along is really uh, encouraging to me, to my prayer life. And that was encouraging to me to hear it. Because as I told you, in the mid-80s, when I got a hold of a teaching on the Lord's Prayer, it changed, I, no exaggeration, it changed my life. Because I found, hey, the structure of being able to pray the Lord's Prayer helped me immensely. It kept me on track instead of wandering, okay, I'll pray for this, I'll pray for that, I'm not sure. It, it gave me ideas of what to pray for. And I, I know it can do it for you too. Take that, take that model. It can, it can revolutionize your life. I'm convinced of it. But in, the, in this version of uh, the Lord's Prayer, in Luke 11, he gives the Lord's Prayer, but then he keeps going. He says in verse 5, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before them. And from inside, he'll hear, he'll answer rather, and say, Don't bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't, Um, he, He will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Yet because of his persistence or shamelessness, his importunity is the word, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Listen to this. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, being sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you have that in you, and it came from God, trust him 
He's got, he wants to give good gifts. But he says this, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks has the door open. Keep doing it. And let me say this, ask big. Ask for, we don't need to, I don't mean selfishly, but I mean, how much has God got? Ask him, ask him. Oh, but I asked him, you know, God, I just, if you could just give me a little thimble full, that'd be enough. It's like, no, God, I want lots. You're, you've got lots. I want you to pour out your spirit and fill me. I want lots of fruit. I want to see people saved. I want to see people's lives touched. I want, I want sometimes walking down the street and I'll see somebody, you know, with something, you know, they're, you know, they have some kind of a, an impairment to their body or something. It's like, God, I wish you'd just heal them right now, even if they don't know what happened at the moment. I want you to do it. I want lots. Let's ask big because he's a big God. Amen. Let's ask, ask and keep asking. Seek, keep seeking. Knock and the door will be opened. Okay. All right. Now, now it's getting late in Jesus' life. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. This is after the, um, the Last Supper. And it says Jesus comes out and he's proceeding as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, Olives and his disciples were following. And when he arrived at the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Complete surrender. He's completely yielded to the Father. It's like, God, I know this is going to be bad if there's any way. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Only Luke records that. We pray... And sometimes it's like, God, I don't even want to go into that meeting. I don't want to talk to that person. This is going to be, it's, I'm just thinking it's going to be ugly, God. There's, I don't want to deal with this. And sometimes in a prayer meeting, it's like there's a strengthening. It's like, okay, I'll do it. And God turns things out better than expected. He can come and strengthen. He can make those things happen. To, to come and present it to him. And look at this. This next verse. And being, verse 44, being in agony or anguish, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, unbelievable, from sorrow. And said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But verse 44. Being in anguish, he was praying very fervently. We just saw in Luke chapter 10, he's rejoicing. Maybe leaping and dancing and twirling. Giving God glory like that. But he, he prays when it's the total opposite end of the spectrum. He knows from that point, 
maybe he's got a couple of hours before, maybe, before he gets arrested and he's scourged and he's crucified and these things are, these things are happening. He's in great anguish. But he prays and he's completely yielded to the Father. Prayer can put seemingly overwhelming circumstances in perspective in the light of reality like it does for Jesus. And we see in Romans, uh, Romans Hebrews 12, 1, where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I wonder if some of that was being shown there, if, the, if he was being strengthened with that. Do you see what's going to happen when you do this? Like you get a glimpse of, wow, the salvation of this race that has gone off the, off the rails all this time. So perhaps there was some of that for the joy set before him. And then the final prayer we're going to look at here. Finally, Jesus is crucified and he prays twice that we know of on the cross. Chapter 23. They've brought him to the place of the skull. It says verse 33, 23, 33. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And it says, and they cast lots, dividing up his garments. While Jesus has been scourged, he's been stripped naked, nailed to a cross, dying like a criminal, and while they're gambling for his clothes, hey, that's a nice robe, I want it, and they're gambling for it, he's on the cross praying for his persecutors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're, they're ignorant. He's, he's on the cross. He's got nothing left. And he, he chooses, wh- where else am I going to go? I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. And then look at this. Comes down. This is somewhere maybe between three and six hours later because we don't know how quickly. It, the way it's presented in Luke, it looks like he prayed this first prayer as soon as he was on the cross. But then in uh, uh, verse 44, it was about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun being obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He Now there's nothing left. It's been finished. The work of redemption, the the sacrifice for sins has been accomplished. And the last words out of his mouth are prayer. It's like, what a savior. Father, forgive them. And then hours later, when he knows there's no strength left, it's, it's, it's over. It's, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm yielded to you, Father. In our prayer lives, 
I, I've heard someone say this through the years. If you have not decided to obey God before you pray, then sometimes you won't hear because, oh God, that's what you want me to do. No, I'm not willing. Now, I want to, I feel like I can be gentle with everyone here because that's been my experience at times that God says something and say, God, that's too much. God, I don't think I can do that. I'm not saying that's how it should be. I, I pray God gives the grace to overcome that. But those times where it's like, oh God, that's, I don't know if I can face that. I don't know if I can do that. Here's Jesus. There's nothing left. It's like, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the, that's the goal that I'm aiming at. That's the goal I want. That's the goal I want for you is to be able to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do that. That looks, you know, sort of little Elizabeth came in and told me a story about Jonah tonight before the service. I, I thought, yeah, that is Jonah. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. Those rotten people, they're terrible sinners, they're really wicked, and they're violent. I want you to go there. And I can just I can see Jonah. Squeak, squeak. Uh, run that by me one more time. <laughs> you know, like, uh, not Nineveh. Did you mean, you know, uh, some other favorable place? No, I want you to go there. And look at the good thing God did. God is good. He's going to lead us into places that he even said it to Peter that we wouldn't necessarily choose. But if we're with him, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Um, fully yielding ourselves constantly. My, As I say, I know I've done that before. I asked God, and then when he said it, it's like, oh, I can't do that. And sometimes it takes a while, and he wears me down, and I say, okay, God, I want you more than anything. I'll do it. And he can do that. And to even ask, God, I'm currently not willing, but make me willing. Make me willing. Do what is needed to turn me around, to, to, make, me be one of, to make me be like Jesus. Fully yielded so that I'll do it. At every stage, in every circumstance, before miracles and after, big decisions and troubles, during them, during troubles, while teaching the disciples about prayer, uh, when opposition was at hand, when doom was upon him, he prioritized being with God in prayer. And he wants that for us too, I know it. He encouraged his disciples then and now to pray. Notice he says, and when you pray, pray this way. Not if you pray, when you pray. His last words on the cross were prayed to his Father. What would Jesus do in every situation? He'd pray. He'd, he'd have an ear tuned to the Father. Even if it was in silent prayer and he couldn't pray out loud, he's, 
He's tuned to the Father. Jesus kept returning to the place of fellowship with the Father, seeing God, knowing more of Him, being empowered by Him, receiving of His resources. How can we possibly expect better results than Jesus with our own resources? We can't pray. Establish a routine of prayer. If, As I said before, if, if you would like, I've got lots, I've got rows of books on prayer. And most of them, I would say, I've gotten at least one great thing out of it. Some of them are much better than others, but I have books I will lend. I have other books I can give. Um, Come and see me if you would like some help with prayer. Maybe a way that could help with a prayer life is find someone else and say, hey, can, can we pray together to start establishing a prayer routine just that you see maybe how somebody else does it? I suspect that the disciples being around Jesus had, you know, they picked up some, some tips from watching Jesus pray. You know, even when he was a stone's throw away, it's like, oh, I'm going to do it like that. So don't let yourself... Continue on without establishing, practicing, developing, and expecting to grow in a prayer routine, in a prayer discipline. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Let me ask if it, we'll pray right now. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. But if you want help, if no, if you need a breakthrough in your prayer life, you need some help in your. Um, practice of prayer, I want you to put your hand up for a moment. There's no shame in it. If you need help in your prayer life, yeah, go ahead and just put your hand up for a second. We're going to ask God for a, a grace, for a blessing to help you with that. Go ahead and just keep your hand up. If you, yeah. And Father, I thank you for those that are acknowledging they want help with their prayer life. I pray, Father God, for a breakthrough, for a new grace, for a new experience and encounter with prayer being more of what it ought to be, what it was in Jesus' life where he was actually in fellowship with his heavenly Father. God, I want that for each one here. And would you bring the breakthrough? If there's, just, if, there's a, if there's ignorance or a misunderstanding that's in the way, Father, clear that out of the way. If it's a matter of, um, uh, of some structure or just a, a freedom in being real with you, God, I pray you'd give grace in that. But we want to develop and establish our own personal habit of prayer and routine of prayer. And God, we want our church to be one with a culture of prayer where people are walking in closeness and fellowship with you. Thank you, Father God, for answering these prayers tonight in the name of Jesus. Even these scriptures, God, would you bring them back to our um, remembrance through this week that they would assist us in being stronger uh, more effective, more intimate prayers. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.